Thank you, Joe. Well, we are continuing this uh, story of Genesis, and we have been trying to connect the dots between this ancient story and our story. And just to review, you remember, we started back with creation and Adam and Eve. And, and I told you that there are six major players or times in Genesis that I have encouraged you to remember all six of these, because I think if you remember them and in their order, that it can help you to, to really know this story and know how it impacts your life. So we started with creation and the covenant of creation, and then we went to Noah and that story and that covenant, and then we got to Abraham where God chose a, a family. And he said it was through your family that the whole world would be blessed, right? That's where we get the phrase, we are blessed to be a blessing. And this is still our story because these are our ancestors. We have been blessed to be a blessing to the world. And then last week we looked at Isaac, my least favorite story of all. Uh, and we're reminded again of God's incredible sacrifice for us. Today we're looking at Jacob. And then next week we're finishing up with Joseph. I hope you come back next week for Joseph's story. It is a, the longest story in Genesis. Actually, uh, it is a great story. It is a, a great reminder that even when evil is present, God can turn that evil and use it for good. That's the amazing thing about God is how he can take evil and use it for good. So I hope you'll come back for Joseph's story next week. But today we're looking at Jacob. And if you remember the story of Jacob, uh, Isaac and Rebekah, they had two sons, twins, Esau, the firstborn, and Jacob. And, and Re Rebekah said that even before they were born, they fought. They fought in the womb. And, and, and they fought their entire life, in fact. And, and there's a struggle back and forth between Esau and Jacob. And Esau was the firstborn, but it says that Jacob, the secondborn, was holding Esau's heel as he was being born. And, and Jacob means uh, supplanter or heel grabber, one who deceives. And this is a characteristic of Jacob, his entire life. His entire life is a person who is trying to get one up on everyone else. This is who Jacob is. And so you see that in the ancient world, the firstborn was the one whom the blessing would go through, who the covenant would go through. So if we were just going by ancient history, it should say Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But God didn't choose Esau to take that blessing, that covenant through, but Jacob, the secondborn. We're not sure why, but it just reminds us that God can do what he wants to do, that he is not bound to our conventions. He can do his own thing. And so we see, though, Jacob, this deceiver, this heel grabber uh, from birth on. And we have these stories of how Jacob deceives his brother and how they fight. And we, the, the one story, the first story we read is about how Esau, who was uh, a hunter and loved to be out in the woods, well, his father, Isaac, loved Esau best. And Rebekah loved Jacob best. They have a dysfunctional family. Any of you out there have, you don't have to raise your hand. Do you, not, uh, do you have dysfunctional families? This is the amazing thing about these stories as well is that God can even use your messed up family. Isn't that amazing? And, and so when we read these stories, that's the other thing we need to remember is sometimes God uses people in spite of people and God does not ordain everything that actually happens in scripture. 
It happens, but sometimes this dysfunction, he is not ordaining the dysfunction, but he can still use dysfunctional people. Amen? Does that make sense? And so we have this story where, where Esau comes in from hunting all day and he's famished and Jacob is making this stew and it smells good and Esau says, give me some of that stew. And of course, Jacob being the younger brother says, no, uh, I'm not gonna give it to you. And, and Esau's like, come on, give me the stew and I'm famished and I'm gonna die. And he says, well, Jacob says, well, if you give me your birthright, the firstborn, the birthright, I'll give you some stew, Right? And Esau, being impetuous, says, well, what does it matter if I die? I'm so hungry, I'm gonna die. It's not really, but you know, that's the way brothers are sometimes when they're arguing. He says, okay, I'll, I'll sell you my birthright. And so Esau sells his birthright to Jacob for a pot of stew, not very smart. And, and we have to remember again, in this culture, the firstborn, the birthright was everything. You got the double blessing, the double portion, and that was important. And then we see later on when Isaac, their father, is old and is about to die, that he tells Esau to go fi uh, kill uh, uh, an animal and bring it to, to feed him. And he's going to put his blessing on Esau as the firstborn. And we remember again how the blessing of the family is so important, of the, the blessing of the father and the firstborn. Well, Rebecca overhears this and tells uh, Jacob, hey, Jacob, your father's gonna bless your older brother. I want you to go in and deceive your father, dress up like your Esau, and you get the blessing. Now, that's what he does. And so we see throughout his life, Jacob is deceiving everyone around him. And after he gets that blessing, Esau comes in, he sees that he didn't get the blessing that his younger brother did, and Esau is angry, you can imagine. In fact, the text says this, from Genesis 27, 41, from that time on, Esau hated Jacob because the father had given Jacob the blessing. And Esau began to scheme, I will soon be mourning my father's death, death. then I will kill my brother Jacob. He's not happy. And so Jacob decides, his mother helps him, says, you might want to leave. Your brother's going to kill you. And so he's, uh, Rebecca says, why don't you go to my family, to Laban, and maybe you can find a, a, a home and a place there. So, so Jacob, who has deceived everyone, who gets the blessing and the birthright, he now goes and, to, and finds the, his uh, family's family, Laban, and their family in another part of the world, and he hangs out with him and he falls in love with Rachel. Remember the story? And now the deceiver is deceived by his family as Laban deceives him and gives him not Rachel as a wife, but Leah. And then, but then he has to work for all of that. You remember the story? If you don't remember it, go back and read Genesis. This is a great, great story, great reminder. And so here we have the deceiver being deceived. But here's the amazing thing is God blesses Jacob throughout that time. He has children and they multiply and he gets more and more land and, and animals. And his father-in-law constantly deceives him. And he gets to a point where he doesn't know what he's gonna do, but it can't go on this way forever. And so in the dark of night, Jacob takes his whole family and they, in a sense, escape from his father-in-law. Any of you have father-in-laws like that? Again, don't raise your hand. Because he had been taken advantage of time after time after time. And so they're going back to his home. 
Now, imagine that. He hadn't seen his family for years, decades, and he's going back to his home. But as he gets closer to the land of his birth, he remembers his brother, Esau, who he's gonna have to face because he's gotta go through his land to get to wherever he is going. And in a sense, Jacob is going from the frying pan into the fire. He has to face his brother. And this causes some soul searching on Jacob's part. So Jacob devises a plan to try to appease his brother. And he sends ahead of himself these delegations and gifts to go to his brother. He sends 220 goats, 220 sheep and rams, 30 camels and their young, 50 cows and bulls, and 30 donkeys. Jacob has become wealthy in a sense. And in fact, he sends these out in five droves, a little bit at a time. And in fact, these gifts that Jacob is sending out is larger than towns were required to pay foreign kings. I mean, this is a huge gift. So I think it's an understatement when I say Jacob is fearing for his life. He is fearing for his life. What will Esau do? And just in case, after all that, Esau is still harboring thoughts of killing him, he sends his family out as well. Maybe he'll see his family and have mercy. And then Jacob's, a messenger comes back to give Jacob a report and they say this, we came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you and 400 men are with him. Nice. That does not bode well. That does not bode well at all. We came to your brother Esau and he's coming to meet you and and 400 men are with him. So Jacob waits on the other side of the river for one more night. And Jacob is alone. It's just him. Alone. And reflecting on the plight he finds himself in, reflecting on all of his deception and everything he has done, he he realizes there's nothing I can do. I, I don't see a way out of this one. I don't see a way to deceive my brother anymore. And he cries out to God. He says this, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred and I will do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan and now I have become two companies. Deliver me please from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I am afraid of him. And he may come and kill us all, the mothers with the children. Yet you have said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the seas, which cannot be counted because of their number. And that brings us to our text for the morning. And we read these mysterious words. Jacob was left alone. Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. His life, everything he holds dear, has been laid on the line. And Jacob wrestles that night with all that he will be. He is wrestling with how his presents are going to be received. He is wrestling with the fact that this might be his last night on earth. He is wrestling with how his brother is going to receive his family. I'm sure he's looking back over his life as we do when we're in those moments and reflecting on the decisions he made in the past and and wondering, could I have done things a little differently? It says he wrestles with a man until daybreak and it begs the question, 
Where did this man come from? Who was he? Why are they wrestling? We're not told initially. We find out that it is either God or a messenger of God that has been sent. And I think it was appropriate that the event took place at night because the darkness seems to fit Jacob's situation, adding to his fear and uncertainty that seized upon him. In the dark, I'm not sure when, if Jacob is aware of who he's wrestling with. Is this one of Esau's men that he's, he's brought forward? He, it doesn't say. We see how persistent, though, Jacob is as he struggles with his opponent until daybreak. And finally, his opponent uh, gives him a blow on the hip, takes his hip socket out of joint, and in fact, he will limp for the rest of his life. He will never be the same. But what does Jacob do? He clings more tightly. He does not let go, but he's not able to overcome. And he says this, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Here, Jacob is still trying to get the blessing, right? He had tried to get the blessing from his, his father. And remember what a big deal that was earlier in his life? Here, Jacob is true to his character. He's trying to do whatever he can to get the blessing. And as I said, blessings are important. They are, they are life-changing in this culture. And Jacob wants an assurance that everything is gonna be okay. Don't we all? We, we all want that. Is it gonna be okay? Because it doesn't look okay. That's what he wants. But here's where we see Jacob's persistence paying off. Jacob will not give up even though he's been injured. And his opponent asks him, what is your name? What is your name? Now this is seemingly an innocent question. What's your name? But there's so much more behind it. The question, who are you really? And Jacob is faced with the question of how to answer. How is he gonna answer? For the first time in his life, he answers truthfully. Every other time in his life, who's he been? Someone else. He's been the deceiver. He's trying to pretend he's someone he's not. And now he answers, I am Jacob. I am the deceiver. I am the one who's grabbing. I'm the one who wants to, to get it all. I pretended to be Esau. I walked around as if I was the firstborn. But in reality, when all of the possessions that I'm hiding behind, I'm just Jacob, the one who deceives. We all have to face that question. Who are we? Who are we really? And many times we don't like the answer. Sometimes we find ourselves ashamed of who we are. But this is the beauty of God. He knows who we are. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our flaws. He knows our faults. He knows our deceptions. He knows the mask we wear. But he looks beyond those to who we can be. That's what I love. God says, oh no, you're so much more than that. You can be so much more than that. And in fact, he says this, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Now this is huge. Now you might not think it's a big deal, but this, this blessing, this name change is significant because it embodies, it embodied his character throughout his life. 
A name change signifies, signifies a change in character. You are no longer a deceiver. You are an overcomer. One who, fight, who God fights for. You are Israel. It's the first time in the scripture that Israel, the name Israel is used. It's the first time we hear the word Israel. All of Jacob's life had been seized. He had seized blessings by any means that could work. He was a deceiver, a manipulator, but that, they were only symptoms of a deeper issue. Self-sufficiency. I will do it on my terms, the way I want to do it. He had become self-sufficient and proud. In fact, he had been fighting God long before this encounter. And the Lord is ready for Jacob to return to the promised land, but Jacob has baggage that he cannot take with him. He cannot go in as he is, self-sufficient. And on the banks of the river Jabbok, God finally finds Jacob in a situation in which his sense of self-sufficiency is crumbling. He's unable to provide security for his family. And it is only in this stripping away of everything that Jacob is that he can find the true blessing. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis who writes in the screw tape letters, he says this, when God talks of their losing themselves, he, only mean, he means only abandoning the clamor of self-will. Once they have done that, he really gives them back all their personality and boasts that when they are wholly his, they will be more themselves than ever. Jacob was reminded that he was known deep down by God. Not only was he known, but he was loved by God. The same God that spoke to his grandfather, Abraham, and the same God that spoke to his father, Isaac, is the same God that will watch over him. And in fact, Jacob renames the place Peniel, the face of God, because he was face to face with God in a holy moment, and he lived to tell about it. Jacob no longer needed to fear his encounter with Esau or anyone because God had changed him. See, this is what I love about this story. His deception, his greatest weakness, also was part of his strength if he used it correctly. In the wrestling, he would not let go of God. How often when we are injured, when we hurt, when we suffer, when we have pain, what do we do? We let go of God. We say, God, I don't want any part of you. Say, God, it's not fair. I don't want it. But what did Jacob do? He clung tighter to God. I am not gonna let you go. I don't like this, but I'm not gonna let you go. I'm hurt, but I'm not gonna let you go. I am not doing well, but I'm not gonna let you go. That's why Jacob could be blessed. That's why he was so much more than a deceiver. He would never let go of God. That's our call as well. Let me help connect the dots for you. This is your story. When things are bad, what you, what you should do is cling tighter to God. Does it make it easier? Not really. It still hurts. But that's the only way out, is to cling to God. Let us pray.